Antioch. Gandalf, from Lord of the Rings fame, in the mind of J.R.R. Tolkien, was exactly right when he offered Frodo this sage bit of advice. He said, It's a dangerous business, Frodo. It's a dangerous business going out your door. You step on the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. We want to keep our feet. We want to make sure that we keep our feet together as we come back from this pandemic. And if you're at home and you're not with us because you're not able to be out, we're not, I'm not trying to project anything, but all of us at some point in the next few weeks and months are going to come out of and, and come back to, to living life in community. And so we want to think about how we want to handle ourselves. And we've purposed as a church to remember a few things together that we already know. Things that were kind of put on hold and put on pause. Over the last season, we've had an opportunity to be able to evaluate our passions and priorities. And so we're going to remind ourselves from the Scriptures what is to be our passion and what is to be our priority. Last week, we saw that being together, needing each other, is not just something that's nice, but it's something that we're built. We're built to need each other. And today, today we're going to remember that there is a lost world out there. We're going to remember this by going to the ancient, bustling metropolis of Antioch in Syria. And we're going to witness a pivotal moment, not just in church history, but in history in general. We're going to remember something we already know, and if I were to put it in one word, one sentence, it might be this. Jesus is not just part of your life. He is your life. Jesus is not just part of your life. He is your life. Nothing else defines you, if you're a Christian, like Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here maybe with your mom or grandmother celebrating Mother's Day, thank you for coming we encourage any and all questions, if I say anything in this sermon that seems confusing, um, strange, uh, or you have questions about, I will be here to answer anything, or you can ask the people that you came with. But we're going to go back in time and remind ourselves that Jesus is not just to be a part of our life, he is to be our very life. We see this in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. I'm going to read. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus 
to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Lord, the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word endures forever. We're reading an account of long-gone saints who made a difference in a city that we'll never visit. But, oh Lord, I pray that through your word, these are not just words on a page, your word is living and active, and I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would encourage us and remind us of something we already know, that we live amongst the people who need to hear of Jesus. And may we learn and benefit from this example from so long ago. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus is not just meant to be part of our life. He is to be our very lives. Two thoughts this morning from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. First, we need to make that clear. If Jesus is the core of who we are, we need to make it clear by preaching. We see this in in, uh, Acts chapter 11. He says the people went preaching Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean You get up behind a pulpit and you communicate with a loud voice over a microphone. But what it means is that you have the message of Jesus in your mouth so that when you are in the community and you are around people, you are going to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're like me, I can be tempted to wait for the perfect circumstances, the right moment, the perfect words. That's not how life goes. We don't get perfect circumstances. We just get our circumstances. And that's the way it happened in Antioch. Now, to understand how amazing this is, we need to understand some of the background here in the book of Acts. Just seven or eight years prior, Luke references this in the section we, we read, there was a man named Stephen who was killed. Now, at that time, in the beginning... There was only one city that had Christians in it and only one city that had a church, and that was in Jerusalem. And there was only one kind of Christian, and that's ethnically Jewish Christians. Now, Stephen made waves by debating the Jewish leaders about Jesus Christ. He was saying, he's the Messiah. They were saying, he's not. And in the course of things, things got ratcheted up, and and Stephen was called before the Jewish ruling body and his preaching of the gospel to them so enraged them that they drug him out of the assembly, outside the city, and killed him. They stoned him. They killed him one rock at a time. And so up until this point, the Jews were just debating with the Christians. And then after the death of Stephen, they were emboldened to persecute Christians. So that day they stopped talking and they started hunting and beating and imprisoning Christians. And the persecution was so intense, so stout, that 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 very first Christian church was scattered. Like a daffodil, 
the wind of persecution scattered these saints all over the ancient Near East. Stephen's execution was tragic. The scattering of the church was catastrophic. And it might seem, as you read the book of Acts, that this little fledgling flame of Christianity would be snuffed out and become little more than just a footnote in history. But that is not what happened. And why is that? In part, because of these unnamed saints. Look at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution arose over Stephen, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyrus and, or Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Now, they go, they were sent out under, unlike, uh, under negative circumstances, and they're going and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to just Jewish people, just ethnically Jewish people. Now, these weren't ideal circumstances for evangelism, but these were their circumstances. As they fled persecution, they told, Jesus, told people about Jesus on the way. Now, I'm sure they were struggling. I'm sure they had a hard time. I'm sure they missed their friends in Jerusalem. I'm sure they missed the apostles' teaching. I'm sure that they missed all of those things, and they probably still had tears in their eyes as they walked away from the city at the death of Stephen. But they went speaking the name of Jesus. And then in verse 20, we read of a second wave of Christians that come to the great metropolis of Antioch. And something unexpected happened. But, verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus, which is like a, an island in the Mediterranean Sea, kind of like the tropical paradise of that area, and Cyrene, that's northern Africa, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, that might seem like a small thing, but it's hard to overstate how big of a deal this is. Unknown saints scattered from Jerusalem come to Antioch and preached the Lord Jesus to Gentiles, to non-Jews. For the very first time, Gentiles in mass would hear about this Jewish Messiah who was not just for the Jews, but was Lord of all. Now, these were not ideal circumstances. The city that they were in was thoroughly pagan. Thoroughly pagan. And they had no idea who God was. They had no idea there was such a thing as the Old Testament. The city knew nothing of God. But those who were scattered did. And they told others. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Do you see this? A scattering, a great scattering, led to an even bigger gathering. For the first time, the message of Jesus transcended this racial and cultural barrier. These Christian Jews spoke to Greek-speaking Gentiles, and they didn't speak of Jesus as a Lord, but the Lord. Now, everybody at that time served a lord. They served these regional gods. They served regional gods. And, but the, the Jews came in who had converted to Christianity. They came in and they said, this Jesus, he is the lord. He is not a lord. He is the lord of the universe. His realm is not limited to the Nile Delta or the Lycus Valley or the Seven Hills or the Levant. But his realm is the entire universe. This universal Lord, 
Not only is his realm the entire universe, this universal Lord came to his rebellious creation not to punish them, but to save them. This Lord became a man and was destroyed by men so that the sins of mankind might be punished in him. And there's no other religion that has this kind of system that destroys sin by means of destroying its master. But this is what happened. And those who were scattered were able to say, this is the Jesus I serve, this is the Christ I follow. And his sacrifice is acceptable for any who would believe in him. Not only did he die, but he still lives. And he's worth following. And Gentiles came to Jesus. These weren't ideal circumstances, but they spoke of Jesus in the circumstances they have. They spoke of Jesus where they went in their circumstances. If we wait for ideal circumstances to speak of Jesus, we won't speak of Jesus. But if he is the core of who we are, not just a part of our lives, but our lives, but, but, our, but the substance of our lives, it's going to be clear that we follow him as we come in contact with other people. You might have questions that swirl in your mind, like, well, what if I, they ask me a question I can't answer? Or what if they hate me? Or what if they reject me? Or what if I don't know what to say? Or what if they say, what kind of an example are you? All of those things, th- th- those things all may be true. But think about our unnamed ancient brothers and sisters here in Christ. They testified to what Jesus had done for them. They testified to the fact that they were once sinners and Jesus, this Jesus died and rose again so that they might be able to experience eternal life and not eternal death. And now they were different people. They, yes, they had sat under the apostles' teaching, but they didn't have a New Testament. We do. We're in a better situation. They didn't have a New Testament because they're in the New Testament. Now, if I'm picking... If I'm picking, I'm picking that I'd I'd rather have a New Testament in my lap than be in the pages of the New Testament, but they didn't get to choose. The Lord had them to be those people who went to Syrian Antioch to tell those people about Jesus. And these are our forebearers. They crossed racial barriers with the message of Jesus. These weren't ideal situations and circumstances. These were people very different than them. It's tempting when we come in contact with folks to say, you know what, they look self-assured, they look happy, they don't need to hear about Jesus. Or they're so different from me, I don't know that they would want to hear anything. We can have that kind of mentality and look for the perfect kind of circumstance. But that's not the circumstance that they had in Antioch. In Antioch, this city was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, kind of equivalent to what Chicago would be for us today. And in Antioch, there were 18 different ethnic quarters, and each one of them maintained their own cultures and their own gods. And there were people there from, records indicate there were people from Persia, and they served Persian gods. There were people from India, and they served Indian gods. There were people from China, and they served China god, Chinese gods. And there were people from Greece, and they served their gods. And other Romans served their gods as well. But the scattered saints knew that everyone needed to hear this message of Jesus, so they crossed this barrier. And they went knowing that 
hey, you might be different from me. You might have a different skin color. You might have been born with a different language. You might have been born in a different place, but you have the same problem I have, and that problem is sin. And there's one answer, and that answer is Jesus. So they crossed this racial divide and went to people from an array of different places so that they might tell them about Jesus. If you wait for perfect circumstances, you won't share the gospel. We're all coming back from isolation. We're all coming back out into the culture. And as we do, I think we have an opportunity here to go about talking about Jesus, talking about what he's done, talking about who he is, having his name on our lips. As you know, our culture right now is a mixture. It's a cocktail of fear and anger. And the circumstances may not seem ideal in our country. And yes, the tide of public opinion is firmly trending against those who follow Jesus. The gospel message is on the cusp of not just being branded as offensive, but dangerous and violent. This is where we live. These are our circumstances. This is where we are, and it doesn't seem like it's a great time to go around telling people about Jesus. But I think we have an opportunity. If the hand of the Lord is with us, who can stop us? We have a great hope in Jesus Christ, and there is a world of people who need to hear how much he has done, and that he is there open and welcoming anyone who would come to him. I think we even might have an opportunity that they didn't have in Antioch. In our world, we have people that are confused about a great many things, and one of them is gender. Now, if we say to ourselves, those people who are transgender, they are so different from me, they're so foreign, they're going to be so opposed, I'm not even going to bother. I think we lose an opportunity. No one is beyond hope. And I pray that in the days to come, we have testimonies in our church from people, dear saints, who testify to the love of Jesus that they experienced because they were loved by some of you. And because you went about, because I went about, because we all went about preaching Christ. I think we have that kind of opportunity. I think we have that kind of time. We are living in a time that the circumstances are not ideal, but it's in unideal circumstances or in bad circumstances that the Lord loves to move. The hand of the Lord was with the, the people who went to Antioch, and he, the, the hand of the Lord was with, him, with them, and they could not be stopped, not because they had all the answers, not because they were the smartest people, not because they had money or fame or influence or were connected, but because God was with them. And people came to the Lord. May God be with us as well. Jesus isn't just part of our lives. He is our lives. We need to make that clear. Secondly, we need to stick to Jesus. In every circumstance, we need to stick to Jesus. Stick to Jesus. This is what happens. This is, so in Jerusalem, they hear about the miraculous goings-on, and they send a guy named Barnabas up to lend a hand. Now, his mom named him Joseph, but the Christians called him Barnabas. 
which means son of encouragement, and the way that, like in English, we might call it him Mr. Encouragement. Barnabas was Mr. Encouragement. This was a guy who was refreshing and kind and happy and smiling. He blessed and refreshed people he came in contact with. He was quicker with a kind word than a strong opinion. He was consistent in his kindness and didn't project guilt. He came alongside the hurting and gave himself for the benefit of others. He was Mr. Encouragement. And he was the perfect one to come visit Antioch. So he came, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Stick to Jesus. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He encouraged them, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. In other words, set your heart on Jesus. Devote yourself to Jesus and his purposes. That's what he told these saints. And we would be good to heed this as well. We all need to be reminded to remain faithful and have a steadfast purpose. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get busy and wander away. But because Jesus is not just a part of our life, but our very life, we must remain faithful and follow Jesus. Now, we know what that means. We know what it means to stick to Jesus. If you've been a Christian more than a few months, you know what it means to go through hardship and stick to Jesus. You know what it means to walk through life and stick close to Jesus and follow Jesus. You know what it means to decide, no, I'm going to go this way and I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to wander. I'm not going to wander off into sin. I'm going to stay close to Christ. You know what this is. And we all know that there are times we don't stay as close as we ought to. When we sin, we confess, and we know that we're always forgiven, and we just keep following Jesus. When we face trials of many kinds, we can cry out to the Lord for help and call others for help and keep following Jesus. When we're heartbroken at the situations that we find ourselves in, we can pour out our hearts before the Lord and keep following Jesus. When we have victories, we can thank God because all blessings come from Him, and we can keep following Jesus. When we fail miserably... We can ask for help and keep following Jesus. When we come together, we can remind ourselves that Jesus is worth it and keep following Jesus because following Jesus is our grand purpose. It is our grand design. He is your purpose. He is my purpose. He is all of our purpose. And when we follow Jesus, look at the effect. Barnabas says, follow Jesus, keep a devoted heart, stay close to him, and look at the effect. And a great many people were added to the Lord. When a church stays close to Jesus and the gospel message is on her lips, people are added to the Lord. We need not. Now, here's where we, we don't want to put discipleship and evangelism at odds like they're two different activities. Both point people to Christ. Discipleship is just coming alongside someone and saying, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Evangelism is just coming to someone who isn't following Jesus and saying, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Barnabas realizes these new converts, they're not just a group of converts. They're not just a gathering of people. They had gelled into a church. And they needed more than he could give. And so he goes off. He has an idea. He goes off. He knows this guy who's an academic genius, like a professor, 
named Saul, and he's in the city called Tarsus, which is about 150 miles away. And he says, I'm going to go get this guy named Saul, and I'll be back. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Now, the irony, I'm sure Luke wrote this with a smile on his face. The irony is that Saul participated in the execution of Stephen. We read about this in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city. This is Stephen. Stephen made them so angry with the preaching of the gospel. They grabbed him, threw him out of the city, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out to the Lord, to the Lord Je- called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. This is the Saul that had a role in scattering the Jewish Christian church at Jerusalem. And now this Saul has a role in building up some of those same people into Jesus. That's incredible. That's something only the Lord can do. So, in one picture, Saul is approving of an execution. In the next picture, he's approving of Jesus Christ and saying, stay close. Imagine what those who came to Antioch from Jerusalem thought. This guy who was against Christians, imprisoning Christians, beating Christians. And he gets there and starts teaching about Christ. And they are like, what? See, the Lord revels in using unlikely means to bring sinners to himself. And this whole account should give us confidence to go out in the world, armed nothing but the mess, uh, armed nothing with the mess, but with the message of Jesus Christ. And remember that the Lord uses not the impressive, or the significant, or the connected, or the wealthy, or the educated, or the beautiful. But he uses the willing. First Corinthians says, Remember, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let not one who boasts boast in the Lord, Not wise according to worldly standards. Not powerful. Not have a million followers on Instagram or Twitter. Not have scads of money. But God chose the foolish to shame the wise. See, our temptation when it comes to evangelism and reaching the gospel 
preaching the gospel to a lost world is to think that we have to be uber prepared and have all the answers and be impressive and speak about Jesus with precision and confidence with all the answers to this world that doesn't know him. But think about these people here in Acts chapter 11. What did these people in Antioch who had no idea who God was and no idea who Jesus the Nazarene was, what did they call them? The wise ones? The wealthy ones? The Bible answer people? The impressive ones? The educated ones? No. Verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It gives me goosebumps just to consider. Just to consider that we don't know these people's names, but we know who they are. They're Christians. There would be no greater honor to be remembered as, as ones who are like Christ. There's no greater honor. There's no, I think, why in the world does Jesus choose to associate with me? Why would he take an interest in me? I don't know. I can't explain it. I'm grateful. And this is what typified them. Antioch was a crowded city. On average, 200 people lived in one acre of space. Now, in the United States, the highest density is in, on Manhattan Island, where 100 people live per acre. Now, in Manhattan, there are high-rises that go 50, 60, 70 stories high, but not in Antioch. In Antioch, everybody was on the ground level. Our property is about five acres. So imagine 1,000 people living in close quarters on this property. Now, further, I told you earlier that there were at least 18 different and distinct ethnic quarters in the city. What I didn't tell you is how they were separated. Each quarter was separated from each other, not by streets, but by walls. The people couldn't climb. Antioch was regularly torn asunder by racial strife. They were famously xenophobic. Race riots were a common and regular occurrence. And then these people show up who don't fit the mold. You see, in Antioch, you stuck with people who had the same skin color you did. You stuck with people who worshiped the same God as you did. You stuck with people from the same country you were from. You stuck with people who got you and knew you and understood your culture. And then these others show up, and they don't fit the mold. There's something different about them. They set a new mold, a new pattern. Rodney Stark, the great historian, says, 
it, being Christianity, provided new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with the urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homelessness, homeless, with the homeless and impoverished, Christians offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christians offered a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. To cities faced with epidemics, fires, earthquakes, Christianity offered effective medical services. And as the people of Antioch saw Christians helping other people sick, bearing other people's dead, taking in those babies that were unwanted, when they saw the people treated everyone as family, loved indiscriminately, sacrificed habitually, and constantly had the name of Christ on their lips, Antioch stood notice. They stood on their tiptoes and said, Who are you guys? We know about the Herodians and the Grecians and the Persians and the Indians and the Romans and the Jews and the Ethiopians and the Cypriots and the Syrians, but you don't fit any of those molds. In fact, you're some of all of those things. And so Antioch made a new category. Christian. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They didn't name themselves. The name was given to them. These people were the Christ people. How do we want people to describe us? Think about what we don't know about these saints. We don't know how much money they had. We don't know if they had, were fulfilled in their jobs. We don't know if they were old or young or sick. We don't know if they are wealthy or poor. We don't know what kind of jobs they had. We don't know if they were dads or moms or married or single. We don't know anything except one thing, the most important thing. Jesus was not just a part of their life. Jesus was their life. See, I want us to be a people who are described as those Jesus people or those that are of Christ. See, many of us go by many different labels, like maybe mom or dad or engineer, husband, teacher, wife, student, single, married, real estate agent, granddad, mechanic, grandmom, architect, son, or daughter. These are great labels. But none of them, none of them are primary. None of them get to the core of who we are. You and I are of Christ. We know this. We know this. But it's something we need to remember just the same. It's a dangerous business going out of doors. We must remember that we are in a world that's confused and lost and not be swept away. What a privilege to be associated with this Jesus. What a privilege to be these people who nobody really knows their names, but they know who they served. 
It's all the same. I want to be forgotten. But but remember that I was with Jesus. You see, our world does not need our advice or our opinions or our politics or our rage or our judgment. They need our Jesus. They need us living with Jesus. It's not just a part of our lives, but as our very lives. Because without Jesus, where would we be? Without Him, where would we be? We'd have nothing going nowhere. But we have Jesus. And in having Jesus, we have everything. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I ask that you would help. Lord, it's easy to get distracted, to take our eye off the ball, become interested and then obsessed with other things, to convince ourselves that we need things aside from you, Jesus, and take refuge other places. Lord, I stand at the front of the line there, Lord, and I just ask that you would help me and help us to be a people who don't just have you as a part of who we are, but who we are. And I pray that that would be reflected in how we live and how we speak and how we interact with other people, how we think about ourselves, how we even conceive of the world around us, Lord. We don't think aright about our world or ourselves or anything else if we don't see ourselves as primarily, primarily people of Jesus. We don't see ourselves as ones who can say, Jesus is my life. And I pray that that would be our testimony as a church, Lord. I pray that that would be our testimony. Thank thank you so much for these saints that we'll meet one day in glory that went before us, not in ideal circumstances, sharing the gospel, making a difference. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities. I pray that you would put your hand with us so that as we go and preach and teach and lead and, and interact with people, we might be able to add them to you, Lord. I pray that there would be a host of people who believe and get saved. I pray that we would be a people who have the name of Christ on our lips, not the name of a political party, not the name of debatable issues, not anything like that, but let us be a people who constantly speak of Jesus, constantly speak of, his, of our Savior and what he's done. And may we see your hand bring a harvest of people not just in our church, but in all faithful gospels preaching churches around the globe. May you bring a harvest of people in who say, you know what? Y'all are different. You're different. You don't fit a mold. You're not what I expect. I want to be like you. And Lord, the reason, the only reason that would happen is because You are our life, and I pray that that would be our testimony.
Jesus, thank you that we can pray these things knowing that we have access to the Father through you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to see opportunities. Jesus, it's in your name and by your grace and for your glory and for your fame that we live. Amen.